Mulder, look, Colton plays by the book and you don't. They feel your methods, your theories are... Spooky. It's still real to me, damn it! Hey, what's up? My name's Noelle, and I totally didn't just now, five seconds ago, find out that I'm moderating a professional esports panel at FanX. That's totally not real. It absolutely didn't happen. No way was it recorded and put on Patreon. And I'm Chelsea. I'm Noelle's shitty single-ply toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you! <laughs> it's not! It's it, looks not. Like the, <laughs> it looks like the bottom of a chip bag, bitch! It's like so see-through. <laughs> what? What chip bags are fucking see-through? Have you ever seen a chip bag like, where it gets like so greasy? That, like, oh no! What are you doing? <laughs> No, the people will know. The people no, they won't. Are you talking about like Lay's chips? Sure. Do they put chips not. on a napkin and then they sit there and then make them clear? That's your toilet paper. Okay. I'm going to pretend like I relate to the statement you're saying, but it's not one ply. It's like the eco-friendly doesn't clog my toilet. It's very expensive. No, it's like you fucking liar. You stole that from 7-Eleven. <laughs> God, it doesn't fuck you. <laughs> shit that people buy for their like septic tanks when yes. they're camping. Yes. You don't need that for a regular toilet. I hear you. <laughs> I'm just out here trying to fucking save the environment. <laughs> Talking shit. <laughs> Did you like get a finger in your asshole? Why are you so upset about it? <laughs> oh my um, god. Because I'm drinking this coffee and I'm well fucking hydrated. So mm-hmm. I take a lot of pee breaks. Mm-hmm. And, uh, You're drinking a monster coffee, you fucking animal. You have no rights to talk about my one point through the paper. <laughs> You're drinking trash. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are what you drink. <laughs> there you go. Oh, man. This is tough to get back on track. We, um, I was just starting an uh, audio test, and I just ended up letting it roll because Chelsea and I had a lot of frustrations built inside of us about um, Fanex, which is in less than 24 hours, and um, specifically about the panels that we're doing, and apparently that I'm also moderating. So, <laughs> you know, you know how it is. So uh, we were talking about that, and it's tough. It's tough to get back on track with... Um, Patty Hurst, also, that's Cora. That is 100% me breathing. <laughs> um, it's hard to get back on track with Patty Hurst when I'm upset that I spent all this time researching her when I should have been preparing for my moderation of a pro gaming panel. But here we are. <laughs> here we are. This is this is reality. So anyway, Cora, please, for the love of God, stop snorting. <laughs> my life is a nightmare. Oh, man. Yes, we are. <laughs> Oh, it's like her bone. It's, it's There's his only one bone. bone. It's only one bone and two dogs. <laughs> I didn't think she could put anything in her bone, mouth. One bone, two dogs, <laughs> one ply toilet paper. <laughs> in a fucking prison. Oh my god. Look at this poor animal. <laughs> to be fair, he didn't even fucking care about that bone until she started chewing on it. Now it's his favorite thing. Anyway. Bring her over a little cheesecake. She's not even my dog. What? <laughs> I don't know why I'm supposed to be buying her bones. <laughs> oh my god, fucking. Anyway, anyway, here we go. Back into Patty Hearst. Part two, we have to wrap this up because my brain can't handle thinking about it anymore because I have other things to do. Um, so, <sighs> Patty Hearst, two months into her capture. The SLA say, you can join us and fight for the cause or be let go. Um, she then said that she wanted to stay and fight. And in some weird ceremonious type of way, they all took their masks off at the same time and showed themselves to her and gave her the name Tanya. Also found out that Tanya isn't just a weird white trash name that they gave her. It was referring to the freedom fighter in Bolivia. Um, and she took that name. Oh, the famous Bolivian name. Yeah, the Tanya. famous Bolivian. Well, it's this East German woman who went to go fight um, in Bolivia, and she took that name. Who knows why? You know, you know when people like do so much research into war history that they find out shit that no one should know. 
Like that's yeah. this, you know, like that's mm-hmm. how we got here. And then um, in her recording where she announces that she's staying with the SLA to fight and she announces her new identity, she also says, there's no victory in half-assed revolutions, which I think is kind of fun. Only whole ass revolution. Only whole. Exactly. The whole entire ass. Not just one cheek. Yeah. I, there's parts of the story that like make me kind of think they're fun. Like I said in the last episode, I feel like I would have been (laughs) suckered into this real hard. Um, and it's moments like this, like when she's like literally on record, knowing that the media is going to pick it up, knowing that her parents are going to hear it. She says there's no victory in half-assed revolutions. Well, it's like when we went to the Trump rally and then all the cops came mm-hmm. and it's like, yeah, we're part of something. And like, yeah. the cops were like standing in between the Trump uh, supporters. And then um, we were on the side, obviously, of the protesters. And it was just like, hell yeah, this like ends up in a book. Mm-hmm. And my uh, grandchildren see it. They're mm-hmm. going to know grandma was cool. Mm-hmm. It was like the, the precipice is yeah. amazing. I, they're also terrible. It's true. I forget constantly that we did so many things in that, like, right before Trump got elected and then right after Trump got elected. Like, we were very mm-hmm. uh, politically active. Yeah. And I, we went to so many protests, not just about Trump, like, pro um Planned Parenthood protest, mm-hmm. like anti-Republican state protest, and then anti-Trump protest, and specifically the one where we were protesting outside of the Trump rally when he came to Salt Lake City, and the um, riot police were there. In between, it was literally like you and me, and then like riot people, and then like mm-hmm. riot SWAT members in full riot gear, and then the Trump pro-Trump members on the other side of them. And it was so fun reading the news reports from the next day. Because, like, we're all sassy. We're, like, sassing back and forth. And then one of the cops was like, I like your lipstick. And I was like, democracy. And then the next day, it was like, people who were protesting Trump were yelling at babies and spitting on old people. And the whole time, it was, like, relatively, like, Mm -hmm. it was heated. And then that guy showed me his nipple, remember? Yeah. And then uh, then we left and got Indian food. It was mm-hmm. a great time, and yeah. then it sounded like we like took the streets and were like killing people the next day and hitting yeah. the sticks. And- the physical damage that happened to the building was on the pro-Trump side because they were climbing on the bricks to look over at us. Yeah, which is hilarious, but of course we were all a, blamed for it. There was it. a kid wearing his like frat pin, and he was literally wearing one of those blue striped shirts with the white collars. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I know. I think about him. Like- you know, I've said it on the podcast a million times way back in the day. That, like, there was a point in my life, and it was around then, when I genuinely hated men because of all the men that would be at the counter-protests that we were at. And, like, I meant that with every bone in my body. Oh, those are my, like, wildest lesbian days, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'm so glad that... You had to. That drawbridge, my drawbridge was up. Yeah. I believe it. I understand it completely. Mm-hmm. I was basically dating a woman. It was so... <laughs> <laughs> you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> That's for you. Oh, man. So, anyway. Patty <laughs> horse. So, I get it. I get when she's trying to be a fucking bad bitch. I feel that. So, um, after that statement, her family still says that she's being forced into this. She's brainwashed. And she's doing all this to save her life. And then, at this point, after this last statement, a lot of the the public conversation starts to turn from her being a victim to, like, hey, you know what? There's a lot of, like, middle-class and upper-middle-class kids in the 60s and 70s that are, like, getting these radical ideas. Like, I don't think she's necessarily brainwashed. I just think she's fallen into the kind of the new wave. Yeah. And, I mean, fair. Both fair. So, two weeks after she announces that she's staying with the SLA, um, a bank robbery happens. It's the Hibernia bank robbery. They So, obviously, they need to rob the bank for money, But the SLA was smart about a few things. And the biggest thing that they were smart about, and I think it's just because a lot of them were literally Berkeley educated, um, was making a spectacle. Mm -hmm. They knew that they had to make a scene and make a statement and kind of stage this. Well, they didn't kill anyone at this one, right? No. So they're just literally playing, they're playing extreme guerrilla dress up. They're not going there with the attention to hurt anybody. They're Mm -hmm. going there to make a statement and they're... Mm -hmm gonna do it by pretending to be violent and Mm -hmm. it works well they did a few people were shot but it was all non-fatal it was all purposeful shots into non-fatal areas so 
they did case banks, but they didn't case banks in the way that you would think someone would case a bank. They cased a bank. They cased the local banks to try to find the one that had a security camera because security cameras were like new technology. God damn it, Cora. Um, <laughs> they were <laughs> they were new technology. So there was literally like only one bank that had security cameras, and that was the Hibernia Bank. And they wanted security cameras so that Patty Hearst slash Tanya could be photographed and filmed participating willingly, right? Mm-hmm. So all nine members, the original eight plus Patty, were involved in this robbery. They purposely wanted Patty to be photographed. They had her holding a machine gun. The machine gun was loaded. Um, so members did shoot at customers, but it was all non-fatal. And they got almost $11,000 in this robbery for, at the time, that's a lot of fucking money. I mean, um, it's a lot of money now. Fair. Like $100 would change my life right now. $50 so. would really <laughs> help me. Um, Patty released a statement that she wanted to partake. Um, she did have a loaded gun and people should have listened to not get shot. Yeah, it's the people who are wrong. You know how it is. Um, later, Patty will claim during her trial that she was being held at gunpoint during this robbery, uh, which is a tough, that's a tough thing to really, you know, that's tough. The SLA denies this and witnesses inside of the bank say that wasn't the case and that they were just as afraid of her as everyone else in the robbery. She told one, she told the customers and um, one of the, customers slash victims went on the record to say that she, she said this patty said put your hands up or you're, you'll get your head blown off i mean we talked about this a little last time when i first came over to your house i was like she's just really not a sympathetic victim is she because no you hear about other people you're like yeah we're we were brainwashed to think we couldn't escape and you're like but jesus christ you're such a victim but then you see her mm-hmm. it's tough it's very hard i don't specifically with this bank robbery it's hard for me to believe that she was a victim because there's footage and granted there's not great footage i don't think if any of the outside of the bank but the bank full of witnesses say that at no point were sla members ever pointing a gun at patty she had a loaded machine gun pointed at them and was threatening them and they were just as afraid of her as everyone else and they never for a second thought that she was being forced into this. She was a willing participant. And that's by witness statement. Just because she says that she, like, you know what I mean? It's just really, it's really yeah. tough. It's it's tough to be on her side in this situation. So. Because she's not a sympathetic victim. I don't even know what a sympathetic victim would be. But you're caught. Uh... Mm-hmm. I think she's using this, I don't know, because she comes off like a spoiled brat. She's using it, really, to just kind of get back at her parents, and sometimes she says that, and she'll continue to perpetuate her victimhood without ever taking responsibility for anything. She never takes responsibility for anything. She never apologizes. Yeah, like, oh my god, I'm horrified that I did that, Mm -hmm. like, this is how I'm making my life better now, but no, it's always like, well, it wasn't my fault. Yeah. It's crazy. I definitely think, and this is why I brought it up in the first episode, the whole um, Marie Antoinette cosplaying as a poor person. Yeah. I think, like, Patty Hearst was cosplaying as a urban gorilla in yeah. a part of the revolution. I like mean, hipsters even do it today. They're spending, like, $60 on a tattered old coat. Yeah. It's the same shit. Yeah. So. I see you, <laughs> I see you, you fucking hipsters. They're in San Francisco when this happens, and the police are like on like they're coming in close you can't just rob a bank after with patty hearst as a public spectacle and think that you can also hide again so they flee to la in three separate cars they rent a house in south central which is kind of funny because um whenever people talk about like the sla they're like oh like that black radicalist group no they were all white there's only one black member so them being in this house in south central la they stuck out like a sore thumb they were fucking rich or middle class white kids yeah. in like kind Playing of the up. ghetto of South mm-hmm. Central. So they stayed in that house for a few weeks just to try to like get off the radar. Um, Bill and Emily Harris, as well as Patty, decide to go shopping to get out of the house because they're getting a little stir crazy. So this is where the apparent accidental shoplifting incident happens. And believe whoever you want, whatever. So they go to a sporting goods store. And they buy a bunch of shit and they do pay for it. Like they pay for like 40 or $50 worth of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then Bill, before they check out, sees this like 
um, holster, like a bullet holster type of thing Mm -hmm. for like shotguns. And he thinks about getting it. He grabs it, holds onto it, and then he puts it down because he's like, I think buying this would be too suspicious. And he starts to get all panicked. Mm -hmm. They check out. As they're walking out, the cashier says, sir, come back here. And then Bill, in a recorded interview, says, like, I was never fucking going back in that store. Because he's paranoid. Like, they've been on the run. They robbed a bank. They're hiding. He's... He can't even buy something with money because he's paranoid that buying it is going to set off, like, an alarm. Yeah. That he's buying, like, military-grade accessories. And so when he puts it down, allegedly, and pays for the other items and leaves, and then the cashier tells him to come back, he thinks that the cashier is on to him. Yeah. You know? Not that... Not necessarily that he... The cashier thinks he's shoplifting, but... Also that he thinks that he's a part of something nefarious. So cashier says, come back. Bill basically says like, fuck you and takes off. And we find out that the next events that happen are because this cashier is an aspiring police officer. So he's manager of the fucking year. Okay. Yeah. He's trying to be, um, you know, he's trying to get that employee of the month free $5 gift card to Subway type of situation. I just want to picture him as Dwight when he's like a volunteer sheriff. Literally. Deputy. Literally picture outfit. Dwight he, like, here. He tears up his sporting goods <laughs> shirt. He has like a sheriff's button up on yeah. him. It's a little sticker. Yeah. Like instead oh of the metal. God. Literally he's that. Adorable. So he takes off. The cashier goes after him. Bill pulls out his gun. The cashier jumps on him. Emily jumps on them. And it's this big fucking brawl in front of the sporting goods store. Patty is across the street in their van. She sees the altercation. And here we go. Okay. She goes into the trunk, grabs a machine gun, and unloads bullets onto the storefront to try to get the clerk off Bill and Emily. After unloading a... Yeah. Machine gun. After unloading that whole fucking clip and nothing happens, she grabs another one, does it again, and the clerk finally lets them go. They all jump in the van and take off. The clerk gets in his car and follows. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Two fucking machine guns. Yeah. If someone gives me, like, a cur- Oh, shit. Sorry. If someone gives me, like, a cross stare, I'm like, fine. Yeah. Whatever. If, if I get followed for, like, two stop signs, I'm like, I've got a tail. I need to drop it. And this guy's like, I'm going to be the best cashier yeah. of a sporting goods store my ever. My fucking friends hang out even after I tell them I don't want to hang out. <clears throat> mm-hmm. My feelings are hurt. Yeah. So I'm not just watch them steal mm-hmm. and nothing ever would have happened. I know. <laughs> I know. It's fucking crazy. This guy gave birth to an Olympian. Seriously. I don't know his name, but he did. Yeah. Kurt also, Angle. no. His son is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> also, know that no one got shot in the hail of bullets. She was more like just like get the fuck off them. But still, yeah. it's kind of you know, semi dangerous to just machine you know, unload a machine gun, gun twice machine in a gun. parking lot. It's a little rough, I agree. So, a car chase through LA begins between them. Um, Bill eventually stops his car, grabs his gun, goes to the clerk's driver's side window, and basically tells him to fuck off or die. And apparently, this is when that clerk gets the message and fucks off. Um, that's what took it. That's it, I think it was just like a personal message. So they know they have to dump the van because they were just in a shootout and a chase. Yeah. So they dump the van. They attempt to steal a car. It breaks down. So they then find a car for sale ad, go to that house. They ask to test drive the car. It's this high school kid. He says, sure, but I have to go with you. They go around the block and say, surprise, this is our car and you're our hostage. To be fair, they were really cool with him. And he was like, that's fine. I just got to be back home by tomorrow because I have a baseball game. <laughs> I swear to God. And they fucking did. They brought really him back hard. so he could go yeah. to his baseball game. And he ends up chatting it up with Patty Hearst in the back seat. And he's like, no way you're Patty Hearst. She's like, yes, I am. He's like, no way you really robbed that bank. She's like, sure did. They're the less cool version of Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. No, exactly. Because there were some hostages that Bar- Bonnie and Clyde took that were like, they had a good time. Like there was yeah. that mailman and he was like, just make sure you destroy the car so I can get paid out for it. Yeah. Like after they dropped him off. And they did. And they that guy had nothing bad to say about him. And I think this kid would say the same thing. So um they the group had the SLA had a designated meeting spot if shit hit the fan and like they had 
they were supposed to be back at this time. They didn't. That should have been the red flag that something happened. Mm -hmm. And it was a drive-in theater. So the four of them, um, Bill, Emily, Patty, and the, now the hostage, <laughs> are there. The babies stay out. <laughs> Literally. <clears throat> Literally. Um, they're at the drive-in waiting. They watch like a double feature. The other group doesn't show up. So the next morning, they dump the kids so we can go to a baseball game. And they take off. And um, Emily, who used to work at Disneyland, said there's a bunch of motels around Disney. And at this point, the best place to hide is in a crowd, which is, that's fair. Yeah. Um, they drive down to Disney, check into the motel, turn on the TV, and see the biggest shootout to this day. To, like, in modern history to this day right now, the biggest shootout between the LAPD, SWAT, and the other members of the SLA in that crack den in South Central LA. As far as the cops and media are concerned, they think Patty's still in there. Um, the cops get on a loudspeaker and they say, you know, like, surrender with your hands up, blah, blah, blah. They're met with gunfire. So this is why this is still the biggest shootout in history. 5,000 rounds went into the house, 3,000 came out. All televised. Everyone's watching this. It ended with the house being lit on fire and every SLA member inside dying. And this was, this was like the SWAT had just been so like, put together. Really, the clerk mm -hmm. for Engel's dad yeah. saved their life. Basically. By just, they probably didn't even, did they even steal the clip he just thought that he did? Do we ever know? We never know. That's just the greatest it's, That is the greatest mystery. It's, you know, case. some people say that the greatest mystery of the case is, was Patty brainwashed or did you do this willingly? No, those people are idiots. The real <laughs> mystery is, did did Bill steal the clip or did he just put it back? <laughs> we don't know. Inquiring minds want to know. The cashier says to this day that he stole it. Bill says he didn't. Who knows? I believe both. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, at this point... Patty is kind of like off the rails in a weird way because the SLA had been telling her the whole time, like, don't trust your family. Don't trust the cops. They're trying to kill you. And then what did she just see? Like the media was saying that Patty was in that house and was dead. The self-fulfilling prophecy. Exactly. Now she knows there's no going back. Mm -hmm. So she's going to have to dig in her heels even further. Mm -hmm. Now you're fucking way too caught up in it. And this is probably the part where her mind starts turning in like, Oh fuck! Like I need a I need a contingency plan to get out of here, and it's probably gonna. This is probably like the slow dip where she knows that she's fucked. Well, yeah, it was the now the SLA is just her, Bill and Emily. Yeah, and um, so she she puts out another message, and she's like, "Fuck you! I'm alive. Fuck everyone. Fuck my family. Um, fuck these cops." She kept referring to them as pigs like um these pigs tried to kill us these pigs had to the only way that they could stop these strong gorillas was lighting them on fire like fuck you fuck everyone type of thing she's like i don't i can't even explain to you what it was like watching your she calls them fellow comrades die on tv um and yeah that's fucking wild also one of the guys in there i'm blanking on his name now i'll remember it later but um it's who, in the trial, Patty says that she was assaulted by him, but everyone else says that they had a romantic relationship, and there's a piece of evidence that proves that later on. Anyway. So, and he died in that, so she was pretty bummed. The three remaining members take off, um, and they are genuinely off the radar for about a year. Like, no one knows what they did for the year after the shootout, genuinely. Um, they ended up connecting with some, sympath some sympathizers from Berkeley, um, one of them included a journalist named Jack Scott, just remember his name for later, and his friend Wendy. Um, both were involved in the Berkeley political movement. They take off to the East Coast. They stay in New York for a bit, but stay in Pennsylvania for a few months inside of a farmhouse that Jack was renting. And the FBI can't find them. The media is, like, making fun of the FBI. Like, enough time has passed where people aren't, like, upset about a shootout with death that they're making jokes about, like, Patty Hearst being kind of, like, the Where's Waldo of the century. Like, mm -hmm. these loons can't find her. Like, can you believe we pay them and they can't find this, like, heiress yeah. princess, like, who's playing dress up? Um, so, anyway, that's happening. At the same time, so, Emily and Bill are married, but they are, like, this 
horrible fucking pipe bomb of a couple who are always turning on each other. Mm -hmm. But the one thing they'll never do is turn against each other. Like, they turn on each other, but they'll never turn against. Like, they'll never, like, uh, if someone else starts a fight with them, like, they'll immediately stop fighting and go after that guy, you know? So... The farmhouse in Pennsylvania is, like, not the place to be. Um, Shit gets a little, like, hectic, chaotic, sensitive. They're with a bunch of fugitives. Um, I mean, even Wendy is... She's on the run because her boyfriend was involved in a bunch of political bombings. Mm -hmm. And she's, like, a suspect. She didn't do anything, she says, but she's on the run for that. So, like, everyone's all fucking wound up. And the big fight happens... Bill, Emily, and Patty take back off to the West Coast, Sacramento to be exact, and they meet up with three siblings who are also sympathizers, Steve, Kathy, and Josephine Solia. Um, Patty and Steve get into a relationship, and she'll admit that to this day. It's like she's very forthcoming with that. And um, they all decide that they need to get money, so they're going to go rob some banks. They rob two banks. First bank robbery... Get off with a little cash, no big deal, nothing great. For all intents and purposes, it's fine. Mm-hmm. The second bank robbery, Emily accidentally shoots and kills a customer. Apparently, accidentally. Mm-hmm. We, who knows? And they end up fleeing back to San Francisco because obviously they just robbed a bank and killed someone. Steve, Patty, and Wendy live in San Francisco. So Steve, one the brother from the three siblings they met, Patty Hurst, and then Wendy, um, the girl who they met when they went to the East coast who's on the run because her boyfriend was bomb making, making bombs and shit. They all get back together and they're living in San Francisco and Steve gets a job painting houses. And like for over a year, they're kind of just like living, chilling, no big Mm -hmm. deal. Um, remember Jack Scott from above the journalist who let them in the farmhouse. Cool. Well, his brother rats on, Jack and the remaining members of the SLA. He says, my brother was sheltering these guys. This is the last place they were. They get, they get prints that match Steve. They are able to track those prints to Steve's new location in San Francisco, where he is a painter. Um, one of the other things that the FBI agents say that they had a hard time finding Patty with is because she was an heiress. She was never fingerprinted like mm-hmm. growing up. Um, and she never had any records of that, so that she was kind of hard to find. So it was more finding the people around her, yeah. and they would find her. So they find Steve, they arrest him, and then they stake out the house. And from there, in that stakeout, they find Patty and Wendy. When they bust through the doors of that apartment in San Francisco to arrest Patty and Wendy, Patty takes off towards a closet full of guns, where she's then tackled by cops. They take her into custody and book her. Um, when the media is around her watching her getting arrested, she gives like the, like the black power fist. Mm -hmm. And then when she's being booked, she tells the cops that her profession is urban gorilla. So. I mean, I wish I was an urban chimp. Same, right? Urban anything. So this is where, before we get into the defense at trial, like at this point, just then, like the whole thing was like, they were coming to save her, quote-unquote. She didn't run towards them. Right. Not only did she run away from them, she ran for guns to potentially kill them or threaten them. Yeah, to just spray bullets wildly and yeah. nothing again. And, like, to be fair, she had kind of been out of the craziness for a year. She yeah. was living a kind of normal life with her boyfriend and her friend. You know, like, she was all for the cause still, and she had that, like, rhetoric still, but she wasn't out, like, being crazy like she was. Like, this was essentially her new normal. And then shit hit the fan, and she went for the guns. Can you still say that person is brainwashed? It's crazy, because looking up, like, Stockholm Syndrome, it can develop very, very quickly. Uh, The case that gave it its namesake, I think it only took him, like, two days to get Stockholm Syndrome. But the, so in psychology, let me put on my minor hat. In psychology, if you get something quick, it's easier to treat faster. So Stockholm syndrome, um, since it can come on as quick as two days, then theoretically it's really quick to treat. So she was in there for what, like 50 something days, apparently develops it, and then is out for a year. 
Um, and you don't necessarily have to get psychiatric help, but you mm-hmm. have to like get some sort of cognitive dissonance, aka being off the lamb for a year, uh, not being around your captors for a year, or even just like psychoeducation. Mm-hmm. Her getting like a come to Jesus when she's not with these people anymore, because. Um, at what point are, like, Bill and Emily threatening enough to keep the Stockholm Syndrome running? Well, they're not even in San Francisco. Yeah, so it's... She's literally living her life with her boyfriend and new friend. Yeah. Like, Bill and Emily, the only original surviving members of the SLA that kidnapped her, are out of the picture. Yeah. In her life. And it's, uh... So... You know, like, is it, is it, I feel like at that point with these particular people, this is a choice 100%. This is just the life she's living. Yeah. Cause I mean, even, um, pulling it up online, like psychoeducation, uh, teaching victims what Stockholm syndrome is, uh, avoiding polarization, uh, listen without judgment, don't give advice. It's basically just, a, like, analyzing your fucking feelings, which mm-hmm. is the same advice they give for a breakup. It's like, don't think about it too hard. Just move on. Find other things. It's She was so far removed from it for so for longer than what her ordeal was mm-hmm. that it doesn't make sense. Yeah. The threat of violence was gone. And Stockholm Syndrome isn't a mental illness that makes you a criminal. It's a mental illness that makes you love and empathize with the people who have wronged you. So, yeah, like it's, her yeah. calling the cops pigs, fine, believable. Her uh, getting into relationships with some of these people, fine, believable. Her taking a gun and like shooting up the place, I don't buy that that's Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, yeah. Like, what mental illness turns you into a criminal? Other, like, yeah. you know what I mean? It's, I just think, like, I could buy the whole she was brainwashed Stockholm syndrome. When the threat of violence was there. Yeah. But specifically at this point when she's in San Francisco with someone who to this day she says that she was in a, like a relationship with. And then the Wendy girl is just like a friend she made along the way. Yeah. Like the, the threats of violence that were keeping her connected to the SLA are gone. Right. She's living a quote unquote normal life. They have like jobs living in some shitty apartment in San Francisco. Yeah. And I mean I know she's scared of the cops now but this is a reality that so many people face even daily just by fucking existing and mm-hmm. not being criminals. And they're not, it, it just doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I know she thinks that the cops are going to kill her, but that's, yeah. I mean, I'm sure she was running into cops the entire year. Yeah. She was out and about and just existing. They didn't know who she was. Yeah. So I don't know, Pat, Pat, it's tough. A little Pat, Pat the brat. It's tough to um, sympathize with her here. So anyway, um, the trial. The biggest thing you'll notice is the return of the quote unquote old Patty Hearst. Her family hires a defense attorney. One of the most famous, you might even recognize his name is F. Lee Bailey. He immediately says to her, you are to have no more contact with your former friends. Um, and his main defense is the innocent Patty Hearst was brainwashed and argued that Patty was the victim of coercive brainwashing. Um, and then he was, um, active in Vietnam and the term brainwashing came about then brainwashing isn't like a technical medical term. It's a term used in journalism to describe some of the effects that soldiers after Vietnam were facing. Some of them were coming back, spilling the same rhetoric that was being, um, preached overseas. Mm -hmm. And they were like, how can you say that you were there at, you know, during the war and blah, blah, blah. And they came up with the term brainwashing. So he was really familiar with it and wanted to use it as like the cornerstone of the defense for Patty Hearst. Mm-hmm. Um, in one of the last letters she wrote out to her boyfriend before they completely stopped communication forced upon her by her team of lawyers. It was a whole entire, like basically a fucking SLA manifesto. Like we're going to stay together. We're going to fight them. Like fuck this, fuck the man, fuck the system. Like we're true. We're good. You know? So again, here we are. She was literally in the arms of her family, friends and quote unquote saved. And she's telling him like, stay strong for me, comrade. Yeah. So anyway, 
The only reason why communication stopped there is because her legal team literally forced it. Um, so the trial was massively covered kind of in the same manner that the OJ one was, which is funny because almost 20 years later to the day, the OJ Simpson trial happened. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was like national news, the headlines, you know, like how could a wealthy heiress become a kidnapping victim to a violent revolutionary? Cause like that's the, it's a three part story, right? It's wealthy heiress, kidnapping victim, a violent revolutionary. Yeah. She transformed. It's like Chicago. Yeah. Straight up. Like the courtroom scene just reminds me of Richard Gere doing the razzle dazzle. <laughs> yeah. It's. Yeah. It's insane. wild. So everyone can agree that she committed the crime. The only issue that they were having was what was in her head. Um, she was only charged with the one bank robbery, the one in Hibernia. Um, and it was, um, only her charge, not Bill and Emily. And they didn't even bring up the bank robbery in Sacramento where someone was killed, which is kind of wild. Yeah. And it's still kind of like, no one really knows why. Some people think it's because they had actual video and photos of her in that first bank robbery. Mm -hmm. So I thought it would be a cut dry case. And then, um, where the other crimes are a little bit more unclear and most of the participants are just dead and there's no statute of limitations for murder so they can always pursue that later they don't but it's fine well um <laughs> that's probably i'm thinking <laughs> you're you're giving them people. more benefit um the trial became a fight of what makes people do what they do um what she did was voluntary versus she was forced what happens next is kind of great so Patty gets on the stand. She talks about her kidnapping, abuse, and she said that she only participated because if she didn't, she would be killed. James Browning, the U.S. attorney, cross-examines her about not just the Hibernia Bank, which is what this case is about, but the other crimes. Her lawyer, Effley Bailey, says, I, I object. The judge says, fuck you. We're going to hear about it. So Browning cross-examines her for the other two bank robberies in Sacramento and the shootout in front of the sporting goods store. Effley Bailey is losing his fucking shit, okay? So this is where everything takes a turn because she's already testified, right? She's already made statements in front of a jury. If she can't get her story straight, on all of these other crimes that they're now allowing cross-examination for, mm -hmm. and she puts herself at any of them willingly, that's a murder case. Yeah. You know? Like, that's that's life. Yeah. So, Ethley Bailey literally tells her out loud, plea the fifth. Smart. Is it? Because for when most people plea the fifth, the jury never sees it. It's just written, Right. They, they put you on stand. They start with the first question. You say, I plead the fifth. And then you say that for every question. And you, at that point, the jury can say, oh, they just didn't want to be on the stand. They were forced on the stand. She said a statement in the beginning and then plead the fifth when shit got hot. What does that say to the jury? And it's happening in front of them. That is what the jury says turned the point for them. They knew that every time she said, I plead the fifth during the tough questions that weren't planned for her to answer that made her seem guilty that she was admitting guilt by putting the fifth. But if a jury says that because somebody pled the fifth, that that establishes guilt, that can legally get overturned. There's another piece that comes into it, but that is a big one. The fact that she, you know, did her whole rehearse statement and then with the pot got hot, yeah. she jumped out. I would say it's smart. Who knows? Personally, in the I mean, court of public opinion, real shitty, but a jury cannot be like, oh, because you pled the fifth, that establishes guilt. Yeah. It they just turn their opinion mm -hmm. against your character, but like with legal precedent without the evidence. Yeah. So it just makes her look like a dumb cunt. Here is the last thing that kind of sealed the deal, but it doesn't matter because Patty Hearst is rich and she's, well, you, you'll hear about it. So, a last-minute piece of evidence was submitted. Willie Wolf, the guy from earlier who died in the shootout, who Patty said assaulted her, but later everyone said they were in a relationship. They had matching love stones. He gave her one. And this was taken into evidence when she was arrested. The, prosec the prosecution team 
pulls it from evidence and it's submitted in trial, both the one Willie was wearing when he died because he wore it around his neck and the one that Patty had in her purse when she was arrested recently. The jury said this, as well as her playing the fifth, are the reasons why they prosecuted her. Because one of the jury people said, as a woman, I don't think that I would be carrying around a love necklace from the man who supposedly assaulted me. This I could see happening a little bit more because after people are raped, they try to normalize it a lot. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Uh, she's so hard to believe, but... Yeah. Nah. It's, it's a tough gray area. Yeah, gray area, but I could see the jury being more likely to accept that. Yeah. Either way, um, Patty ends this all by saying she was um, the victim of a horrible, violent kidnapping. She was abused, raped, went on the run with them, only participating because she was in fear for her life. The jury said guilty. She was charged with bank robbery and possession of a deadly weapon and sentenced to seven years in prison. This is why it was smart, because her not implicating herself with that murder... By pleading the fifth, it's almost like a plea deal, right? Like, mm-hmm. okay, fine, I'm not going to fuck admit to this, but it was, like, such a quick decision at the time. Seven years for what she did and then going on the run for a year is, like, such a fucking slap on the wrist. Yeah. Oh, people well. get more time for pot. Yeah, absolutely. There's still people in prison today for pot, literally $20 yeah. worth of weed, a fucking dime bag putting them away. Anyway, Keep talking you're going to you're gonna love you're gonna love this next part, though. Okay, keep talking. So, Was it Jimmy Carter part? Yep. So Jim, Jimmy Carter is the president at the time. Um, and Jimmy Carter was going up against Ronald Reagan. Um, also, kind of keep in mind here that the Hearst family, I don't know if you guys remember, are very fucking rich, very fucking powerful, and have a lot of sway. I mean, obviously, they got one of the best um, defense attorneys to represent Patty Hearst and what a lot of people thought was an unwinnable case. So, you know, insert your own theories about how they got away with doing this or what happened or what conversations happened. Also keep in mind that Patty Hearst's mom was like, um, kind of this political middle person and gave a lot of private funding to parties that she wanted to support. So anyway, Jimmy Carter's president, Every single one of Patty's appeals are denied. Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan take interest in this case for who knows why. It might be because her family is very rich and giving them money. Reagan comes out publicly saying that this was an inappropriate charge and she should be released. Doesn't he? Huh. Doesn't he become president after this too? Yeah, Jimmy Carter and then Reagan. Yeah. yeah it's a whole. It's interesting how that works. It's very interesting. So at the same time. Jim Jones and the People's Temple mass suicide happens. And this re-sparks the, like, controversy and debate on how people can do things that are against their self-interest. That they can be brainwashed into doing things most people would not. Jimmy Carter takes this argument and grants her a commutation. And she is released after only serving two years. For Patty Hearst, at this point, legally, everything's over for her. The remaining members and other people involved still get charged and deal with that. The Hearst family gave a civil suit to the woman who was killed in the Sacramento bank robbery. But Patty's never tried again. She just gets to kind of go back to living life as normal. And then this is another kind of weird tie-in because her family is so rich and fucking stupid. During Clinton's presidency, the Hearst family gets back together with Jimmy Carter and they go to Clinton and say she needs a presidential pardon. And this doesn't really change anything. Patty's life, like, has already gone back to normal. She has all of her rights back. There's nothing, like, you know, there, there's no reason as to why she should also get a presidential pardon on top of it. Like, it just, it literally makes no sense other than, like, her family wanted this status. Right. And on Clinton's last day of presidency, he gives Patty Hearst a presidential pardon. And, you know, we'll just assume it's a rich-ass family pulling strings. She says it's vindication for herself and the things that happened to her. Keep in mind, never once did she apologize or feel sorry for anything that happened. Patty Hearst has two daughters, um, one who helps run Hearst Publication, one who is a professional model and actress and is married to that fucking Chris, whatever the fuck his name is. And Patty Hearst now raises and trains dogs in the Westminster Kennel Club. The end. I don't think Patty Hearst was brainwashed. No. 
and here's uh, where a lot of the problems that I've had with Patty Hearst come in is whenever she does interviews and they bring up the murders, mm-hmm. she always says, well, those kids don't have to know, like, the pain that their parent went through. My kids know the pain that I've been through. As if that's, like, yeah, like, well, I won. I lost the coin toss. They mm-hmm. won by me being complicit in their murder because she was the getaway driver for the murders. Yeah. So, um, which is wild because uh, Stockholm Syndrome is just so fucking frustrating too because look at how mm-hmm. many, like, kids go through this religious indoctrination and if they go out and they do one thing for, um, under the premise of it being their religion, which mm-hmm. I feel is so much more believable than what Patty Hearst went through, they yeah. have the fucking book thrown at them. Which they should, because you can't use religion to pull off bullshit. Yeah. And Patty Hearst's Teenage Rebellion, mm-hmm. they happen to slap a name on it mm-hmm. and release her. Like, if I... Look at what fucking happened to Nicolas Cage in Con Air. He <laughs> killed a guy because he was all wound up tight after getting back from war, and he still got fucking charged. That's the real PTSD Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. I'm never wrong about Nicolas Cage. And that's fair. But... I- the Patty Hearst thing, it's also, there's, I'll probably post it as like the cover for this episode, but there's this newspaper photo of her and it's like, Patty Hearst is back. And it's literally her like weeks after getting arrested. And she's like at a poolside country club in a bathing suit, sunbathing, just like nothing happened because to her, none of this fucking matters. Yeah. And like, you- you don't snap out of Stockholm Syndrome, and she literally snapped out of mm-hmm. it. Like, yeah. I am so curious if she were to be reevaluated, or if, like, a psychiatrist or psychologist took a look at her case, if they would be buying what she was selling. I don't think so. This is a half-assed in- insanity plea. Absolutely. Well, it's like... But it, it's actually... Look at all the women who've been fucking beat to shit by their partners, and then they snap and kill them one day. Mm-hmm. Throw yeah. them in jail. Yeah. Lorena Bobbitt. She went to jail. Yeah. Um, it's, it's tough. Because, like, wrapping assault and rape into it makes it a touchy subject for people. And I yeah. think a lot of people don't want to talk about it because of that. And a lot of people don't want to investigate it and tear it apart because of that. Because it's a very touchy, fucking sensitive issue. And I completely understand but I also think we have to remember that, like, this is a spoiled, rotten, entitled heiress who was cosplaying as a revolutionary yeah. and got caught up. And when shit couldn't go her way anymore, she threw her arms up and said, I'm a victim. Yeah. Was she a victim when she partook in murdering people and robbing banks? And, you know, like... Well, since when... It, yeah, since when is mental illness... Uh, protection against the law. If she was truly mentally ill, then she should have been sentenced to a fucking mental asylum no, to I get agree. treated for Stockholm Syndrome. I agree. There's, she gets no fucking treatment after this. There's she goes literally... To yeah, she goes to a pool party. There's literally people on death row who are mentally handicapped and they were not given any sympathies. Oh, yeah. But because Patty Hearst is Patty Hearst and her family is who they are and their money is what it is, she gets away with it. Look at the long list of Hollywood elite who have killed people in manslaughter, what have you. No time. Slap mm-hmm. on the wrist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In Alabama, you have a miscarriage and you're getting the book thrown at you. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. The rules apply differently if you have money. If Patty Hearst had been brown, I think it would have been a different case, honestly. If she was brown and her family wasn't who they were? Like, if they were just a regular family? Well, I, I mean, she was just like, what, a rich blonde heiress. She was like a Paris Hilton. Mm-hmm. I think that it would have been very different if it hadn't been her taken in by an organization that people perceived to be brown, even though it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And then they went, you know, it was almost yeah. like she was the poster child for uh, minority corruption. And they're like, look what happens when we mix with these types of people. Like, mm-hmm. we become, like, look yeah. at how bad we can be. And now that she's back with us, she's perfect again. I think. Yeah. Well, absolutely. That's I, absolutely how they spun this it. This is really just a social commentary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A social commentary is how she can do this and get away with it. She reminds me of Casey Anthony. I just don't like her. But she's way less picked on. It's true. Patty Hearst is still out there in the media to this day. Fucking Westminster Kennel Club. She's getting away with it. Yeah. And she, when people cross-examine her, 
she tells them no and shuts it off and is like, you're victim blaming. Oh, absolutely. And whenever she gets um, any interview done whatsoever, because her parents, quote unquote, own the media, Mm -hmm. they take it easy on her. Mm -hmm. It's a sob story. Yeah. No one ever. Alex Jones, too. Oh, God. Could you imagine? Actually, you want to know what? I just found out my heart has been broken by Alex Jones. Why? uh, Because his network is actually owned by Time Warner. That That doesn't surprise me. Breaks my heart. I mean, yeah, I get you. I watched this. We're going so off, but I just, my heart's been heavy for such a long time. That's okay. Alex Jones, when you would look at his original stuff, he would like the people that he called out are now the people that he defends. And it's after the acquisition of Time Warner. Mm, look so at that. Look at that. He's just part of it. I don't love Alex Jones anymore. We lost him. We lost, play Sang sad music here. Yeah. But I would love to watch Patty Hearst get cross-examined and questioned on the actual crimes that she committed because no one ever does because um, it's all fucking cushy, soft pieces about how she's a well, great person. I want person. her to get, like, cross-examined by Wendy Williams and just have, like, arrays of, like, video clips of, like, you dumb bitch and, like, some super sassy, like, animated lady from television. Oh, I would love that. Care. I would love that so much. So anyway... That's the story of Patty Hearst that no one ever talks about because people don't like talking about someone who maybe got um, assaulted and raped and then committed crimes about it. Yeah. So, but I wanted to. Because why aren't people talking about it? I've literally listened to every true crime and like fucking whatever crime podcast TV show and I have never heard of people talking about Patty Hearst. Why? Why do we let the Caucasians get away with everything? Sick I'm of so it. Her Look at that you. Look at you. Both blonde hair, blue eyes sitting at this table. You I mean, what? if other people aren't going to talk about white people, I fucking will. I will. I'll be the first to drag and I us. Won't be the last. Never. Well, I might be the last. I'll so anyway, I want to just end this by saying, um, fuck Patty Hearst and uh, hail Satan. Hail. Hail the dogs at the Westminster Kennel Club. They're the real victims here. That's the truth. Also, hail everyone on Noel's panel. (laughs) (laughs) Poor things. Get wrecked.